How old were you at the time of these murders? I would have been 17. Okay, and she told me you guys were next-door neighbors, is that correct? That is correct. This is the neighborhood boy from the police report that I told you about in the last episode. My brother had been mowing lawns all day, and I had actually moved farther down the island to Holmes Beach, and my friend and I had just gotten off work, and we decided to come by. We met up with the driveway, and we walked back towards the cottage, and that's when we saw Mr. Michelson laying in the side yard. This is the neighborhood boy's sister. You know, I, I can see it like it was yesterday. My brother and I, my, my grandparents used to own Gulf to Bay property on Longboat Peak. Mm-hmm. And then we still owned the Bay property, and we had the big house, which has since been torn down, and we had two cottages at the Bay. Well, my brother and my friend Lori and I were walking back to the Bay, and there was a long driveway to the Michelsons. We noticed uh, a lot of cars arriving. As we got back to our cottage, I looked to the right, and there laying in the yard was Mr. Michelson. And I can see it like it was yesterday. He had pale blue pinstripe pajamas on. They were pulled up like he had been drugged, and you could see one round bullet hole right into his heart. And that's when all the police officers arrived, and, you know, we... But he was, he was right in the side yard, right next to our cottage. Wow. So if you're facing the house and the bay is behind the house, were your, was your cottage on the left or the right of the house? Uh, my cottage would be on the left. Okay, so you were... The Carr family lived in the house over from um, uh, the Michelson's house. On the other side, you mean? Yes. Okay, so you actually walked by close enough that you could see a bullet hole. Wow. Oh, you could see a, a round. I mean, he, he was that close. There wasn't a lot of property between us on that side. And he was laying in the grass in his in his pajamas, and you could see a round hole with, with a small amount of blood around it. I mean, I can see it in my mind like it was yesterday. And things like that never leave you. No, absolutely not. Now, were his feet facing the bay as if he was being dragged by the feet? Uh, it looked like he been was being dragged by the shoulders because his pajamas were kind of pulled up a little bit at the top, but they didn't drag him far. Um, but his feet were facing the bay. So his pajamas were pulled up such that the top was like over his belly a little bit, you mean, like pulled up that way? Not much. Not, not much, though. Mm. Uh, I don't, uh, it was kind of weird. Uh, you could tell that they were trying to drag him but gave up and just left him there. So you definitely got a sense that it wasn't two people carrying, it was more of a one-person dragging type situation. That's what, in my opinion, that's what it was. What it looked like. Okay. That well, that's yeah. very helpful because I'm, I'm, I have been trying to ascertain uh, whether it's a one or two person type situation just uh, from the evidence. Uh, what were the Michaelsons like? What What is your impression of the two of them? Oh, they were nice people. I mean, real nice. I, uh, uh, I spent more time with uh, with Mister Mike than uh, uh, than with his wife. She, you know, she's more stayed in the house and. Uh, you know, he was more of an outdoorsy kind of guy, uh, you know, working in the yard and, and whatnot. So I saw him a lot more than I did her. Uh, but they were just nice folks. So so you did have interactions with him then, and he seemed fairly laid back. That's how he's described in the report, more... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was a real cool guy. I mean, I helped him, helped him put his garden together. I mowed his yard when they were out of town. So you said you took care of their lawn, Um at least on some occasions. Did you do it regularly? Uh, no. Uh, uh, just uh, I did it a couple of times when they were out of town. 
Okay, gotcha. And then he did he do it himself? Was Mr. Michelson do his own lawn, or did he have someone regular that did it? Uh, he must have done it himself because or else he wouldn't have hired me to do it while they were out of town. Uh, I was I was trying to teach him how to gig uh, uh, that there back on the bay, and uh, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, he was a good guy. What is gig? If if you don't mind me asking. Uh, well, it's a uh, you know, like a, it's a three pronged spear that you use for uh, for getting fish. Oh, she did mention that you 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 fished with with a uh, like a bow and arrow. That's interesting. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I bow fished and uh, and gigged. He was more interested in uh, in gigging because it's you know it's a little bit easier. But uh, uh, yeah, so yeah, I mean, he was just a good guy. That's good. So you actually had a, a good amount of interaction with him. And it, if I remember correctly, when I looked in the newspaper, it, it's like they lived there for about a year or so. If if I I believe the newspaper article said that the announced that sale around December of um, seventy. Oh, let me look for it. Seventy two, and then so that's December of uh, all of seventy three, and then February of seventy four when this occurred. So just over a year that they had been living there that you were able to get. Um, you know, sort of get to know them. Um, Tell me what you, she had very vivid recollections of that day. Tell me what you remember about that day and the events. Uh, I got home from, uh, from school. I was uh, uh, going to school in Bradenton and I, uh, I got out at noon, hitchhiked home. I think it was other times. I'm not really sure. And I was uh, standing outside talking with uh with a girl that had, had come by to visit and uh we saw uh police cars and whatnot uh my friend and my girlfriend left and uh, we walked down to the bay and uh and there was uh, poor old mr mike you know he was uh, uh laying there and his arms were pulled back over his head like somebody had grabbed his feet and been dragging him towards the bay you know he had a little spot on his uh on his night shirt uh looked like he'd been you know Looked like he'd been shot. Hmm. Uh, that was about it, you know. And do you, could you tell from where he was where it looked like they dragged him from relative to the house, inside the house? Uh, it looked like they dragged him probably through the garage and, and around the corner and headed towards the bay. So there was a door, um, an exterior door on the side of the house to get out of the garage? Oh, uh, gosh, that I don't know. Uh uh, I mean, there probably was though. That would make that would make sense. That there'd be a door there in the garage that led to the outside, but I I really can't remember. Do you remember if they kept their garage door open, like if you're coming down their driveway? I imagine the garage is right there. Is that how the house is set up to where you're? They, yeah, there. As you go into their property, the garage was to the left. Okay. And straight forward was their front door, and the garage was to the left, and. And because they kept a freezer out there, mm-hmm. an extra freezer, because my grandmother was real friendly with them. We, we all were. I mean, they're great people. And um, I remember that they normally kept that down. The, no, they wouldn't keep their garage open, because uh, especially because of the raccoons. They keep their garbage cans in there, and nobody would keep their garage open. And the raccoons in there, opening the cans. Okay. All right. That's helpful, too. Do you remember them whether they did or didn't leave their garage door open like at night or anything or would they lock it down do you think no i'm sure they shut it down okay 
Yeah. So it just wasn't. Because you know, nobody wants uh, critters getting in their garage at night, you know. Well, that's what your sister mentioned, and it's funny. She said raccoons, and I hadn't even thought of that. I don't know why I didn't associate raccoons oh, yeah. with beach type well, area, but. Longboat used to be full of raccoons. I mean, <laughs> full of raccoons. There's a lot of them. Yeah, and another thing in the police report that I found, there was a couple of males that they were looking at because they had also had 22 rifles or something and they had bought ammo. And they were out racco- actually raccoon hunting that night. So they had confiscated their weapons as well and checked into them. But I just, I didn't even think about that. So you guys had to like, did you have also weapons to take for critter control? Is that what you're... Well, I had weapons, but I wouldn't I wouldn't shoot raccoons. Oh, okay. So they were shooting them. Uh, you wouldn't have, you would. You guys would just sort of keep the trash, you know, locked down or something. Well, yeah, you keep the trash locked down. You put, a, you know, put a spring over the top of it, and, you know, so that it's it's uh, tied down, put bricks on top of it. They're crafty little critters, but mm. not <laughs> you, you can outfox them, and uh, no, you don't kill them. You, uh, they were here first. Okay. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. My pa- my family, when we lived in Michigan, um, we lived for, there for like 12 years and my husband got into deer hunting and stuff. I could never um, do it. I, I stood up in the stands and watched, but I could never shoot anything. It wasn't some, I'll cook up the venison, but I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, I wasn't into shooting anything. So, um, yeah, I've hunted before, if you, but you know, if you're going to eat it and that's, that's yeah. one thing, yeah. you know. Still, I'm so, st- but I did. We, I enjoy. That's one thing I miss coming back here is no venison because that was some good eating. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you guys basically, do you remember in relation to when you saw Mr. Michelson in the yard, how how packed or crowded, how many people were there at that moment that you saw him? Like, were, did you arrive before the police or after, or do you remember? Seems like it was after because uh, we saw the commotion heading down that way, and that's why I was going to go gigging that day. And I remember looking back at the uh, bay. Like, see, we lived. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the property, but it was a uh, it, it's a real deep property, mm-hmm. and they lived they lived back closer to the bay, and we lived up closer to the uh, to the road part of it. Okay, uh, we had cottages back on the back too, but at the time we were living in the up in the big house. Mm-hmm. So I could see the bay back there, but I really couldn't see his side yard. And I remember thinking, well, that's too choppy to go gigging. So uh, I just, you know, hung out there. And then my girlfriend came along and we stood out there and chatted. Then the police started going by. and uh, But when we went back there and saw him, I don't remember anybody actually standing around him at the time. Although there were plenty of people around. But at that very moment, no, I don't remember anybody standing around. There might have been one old guy but yeah, I, I don't remember. It seemed then, the, then it was like a, after that it was like a circus there. Yeah, I bet they were probably there for a while. Oh, um, yeah. It's not like today where they they rope everything off. I mean, the, I was telling her that I found newspaper articles where the police chief was literally sitting, you know, on one of the beds in the bedroom upstairs, pointing at blood on the floor, and the other one. I mean, showing the reporter, letting him take pictures of the crime scene. You know, that yeah. was back then. It's not the same now. So. Um, so when you saw him, it, what was the impression? Did you think that they, whoever it was, was dragging him toward the bay to dump him in the water? Is that what was your impression? Yes. Okay, because that's what I thought as I read it, but I wasn't weren't sure. So his feet were facing like the bay, like someone was dragging him by the feet. That's what it, that's what it looked like to me. Okay. All right. 
Um, let's see. Now, had you ever been inside that home? I'm trying to find out if there was an interior door access to the garage from inside the house. Oh, gosh, no. I I, I don't remember ever being in that house. Okay. Uh, I mean, I may have come into the foyer. I, yeah, I think I have. I think I've come into the foyer before because I came in and he paid me for mowing the yard a couple of times. And, uh, Seems like there was a, when you walked in, there was a stairway that went upstairs to mm-hmm. your left. And yeah, I, I really couldn't tell you. Yeah. I mean, it seems common sense would say that there was, but. It, one would certainly think so. Yes. Right. But I just wanted to, just based on what was in the report, I wanted to, you know, where they say the body was dragged and everything. I wanted to figure out where, you know, um, where what doors were and everything. I may be able to get a layout of the house. I'll have to see. Um, in in Longboat Key and, and sort of the surrounding areas, was did did it have that sort of small town feel that everyone knew everyone um, oh, back yes. then? Yeah. Absolutely. Back in the 70s, I mean, you know, we'd been there. My the grandparents had been there since the 40s. And, and uh, you know, I mean, I was, I was born and raised there. And, yes, it had a very hometown. Nobody locked their doors. You know, nobody... It was very, very peaceful, wonderful place to grow up. Yeah. Were you aware of any troublemaking youngsters, teens, people your age that were doing break-ins or anything at the time? Any, you know, Bradenton or anywhere in the area? No. So nothing... You know, us island kids, Jenny, all we did was we'd go to concerts, we'd go to the beach for sunset every night... We lived a pretty, you know, it's not a little weed. Yeah. We, we lived a pretty clean lifestyle. I mean, we just didn't get in trouble. I mean, there was never violence amongst any of us. We basically lived on island time. I mean, we'd go to school. We all had jobs. We all worked after school. And, you know, we just, there was never any violence, ever. And the Michaelsons, were they liked? In the neighborhood? Yes. Everyone they liked them. They were lovely people, just lovely. That's what makes it so sad. They wouldn't hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. They did not deserve this. Yeah. Yeah, that's the strange thing. That's the strange I thing. I mean, talk about unlikely victims. Right, yeah. Yeah. And were you home that night? The, the night that this occurred? They're so assuming. They don't know exactly oh, yeah. what happened. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, yeah, I was home. And you heard no gunshots? No, not a thing. Would you expect, you know a little bit about what a gunshot sounds like, would you have expected to from the distance you were to their house if a, if a gunshot went off in the well, house? Yeah, I mean, it would have depended on the caliber of the gun and a lot of things, you know, how much, uh, you know, where the gun went off at. Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's a pretty good distance. So, uh, you know, the, the weather conditions, I mean, you know, there, there's a lot involved there. So Yeah, and it was probably middle of the night, I'm guessing, you know, just because why yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's what they said it was pretty later yeah so, I don't know okay that's what I was thinking I was just wondering my granny rented the very first police department in town hall was the bottom half of her two-story house that's where my grandfather had his real estate office and back in the day the police chief had to supply his own car because my stepfather was police chief for years and he had to sp- supply his own car so we're talking a police department that started from nothing and developed into what it is now and and back then i mean 
when we got the second squad car, that was like a big deal. But my grand, the bottom of our grandmother's house was the very first police station on that island in town hall. That's fascinating. The the house right there where, that you're that you're talking about. Yeah. Wow. It's now been, they destroyed it about a year ago, but it, I can show you pictures. Well, I could show you pictures. I mean, it, it's a it's a two story house. My grandfather had his real estate office downstairs, and when he passed away, um, she rented the bottom half to the police department. And the town hall, and that's where all our city offices were, the downstairs of my grandmother's house. That is so we fascinating. Kids, we had to be quiet when they were downstairs. <laughs> we weren't allowed to run. <laughs> that is amazing. Wow. Just the area alone is so gorgeous. Just being able to grow up in a place like that. You guys it were so lucky. It was an incredible place to grow up. We, Us kids, we didn't have to worry. I mean, we, we played like kids don't do now. <laughs> right, yeah. Absolutely. But, uh, that, that, that double homicide has always, I mean, you know, they even confiscated my brother's 22 and ran ballistics. Of course, you know, it came back negative. But, I mean, you know, we were suspects at first. Well, I, that's one of the reasons why I reached out, because they did, his name was mentioned in here, and I thought, well, he's yeah. he's one of the youngest people in the report, so, I, you know, he may still be alive, is basically what I thought, let me reach out, because most of these people are gone now, so yeah. I, I thought, let me take my shot, and he said, oh, you should talk to my, yeah, and I, I'm going to talk to him later, he said he would talk to me about it, and that the other reason, to be honest, why I wanted to do to talk to him was because they mentioned that um, in the report, basically, that the Mrs. Uh, Michelson had an issue with him, your brother, that he kept coming on her property and she was upset about it and she had talked to neighbors about it. So that was one of the things that was told really early on. I'll tell you what the issue was. My brother was a bow fisherman and he would walk the seawalls and he would fish from the seawalls, but she never had a problem with him. If she had talked to him about it, he wouldn't have done it. <laughs> but he fished with a bow and arrow. <laughs> <gasps> Did he really? Oh, that's fun, huh? Yes. I mean, and then he had a gig, too. I mean, we'd keep gigging. We were like nature kids out there. Yeah. We'd catch our own dinner. We, you know, we'd sell our mullet that we'd catch. <laughs> yeah. Like a piece. And then, <laughs> I mean, and if you're talking about like senior citizens, they get tests, you know, they get all kind of little cranky. They do. Yeah. And, and yeah. they probably did not like seeing him with his bow and arrow fishing off their dock, but a lot of, a lot of good fish schooled under that dock. And that's how I ended up reaching out to you. And <laughs> it was, she said Mrs. Michelson was very upset at you being on their property, which doesn't seem to gel with you working with Mr. Michelson, uh, you know, teaching him how to fish and stuff, unless she was more of a stickler and he was more laid back, you know? Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, she, uh, uh, she, she had a problem because, and he's, you know, he said just, you know, blow it off, but that was okay because, hell, I was, I was trying to teach him how to gig and, and uh, you know, it was kind of hard to gig and, not show him off the dock. I mean, I gigged off the seawall, and uh, the the dock was a lot was you know primed gigging too. But uh, I think it was she said something about it, it had to do with insurance, and it all came through him anyway about insurance and uh, and being on the property. And you know, he just told me he said you know hey, if she ever comes out, you know, just kind of be yourself and you know be nice to her and don't worry about it. So, so he's the one that told you that she was upset about it. Well, yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, I was wondering. So he said, "Oh, she's ups-. You know, she may not have wanted. She may not have wanted him out there doing that. <laughs> so that was her way of trying well, to. You know, that that may well be part of it also, because you know he had been through. Uh, you know, a lot of had throat cancer and all kinds of stuff. So it, it oh. may have been part of it. You never know. 
Yeah, yeah. It does sound to me like he was the more, because even this neighbor had said he was the laid back one and he didn't want to say anything. Because she literally said she wanted to put a no trespassing sign on the property, but he wouldn't let her. Really? (laughs) It gives you a little little insight into their little dynamic there, you know. Um, but it mentioned that, you know, you had gone, been there and, and that there were other friends that, did you ever take friends over there? Were there like a, a group of you out there? I, I mean, I had, uh, you know, friends that uh, quite often, like they'd walk over with me while I was gigging, you know, we're bow fishing to, you know, see if I was getting anything or something like that. Yeah. But it's not like, you know, we ever got out there and sat on the dock or anything like that. It was always just, you know, you, you walk down the seawall. You walk back, you walk out on the dock, you walk back over to my seawall, you mm-hmm. walk over to Wilkinson's, you walk out on the dock. You know, if you see something, you you know, you hit it with a bow or you hit it with a gig. And, you know, quite often I'd give uh, I'd give the neighbors uh, what I caught, you know, because so quite often, you know, I, I'd had good days where I couldn't, I couldn't catch everything that I bow fished or gigged. Right, right. Uh, yeah. It sounds like he was cool with it, and she was just the type that would didn't like me like it. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. And when the lived there, did you guys still always go back there and do the same? You you were not acting any differently as you did. I mean, is it, was your behavior basically the same then? For- no, 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 back, no, no. Those days we did not go on the talk. Granny oh. says, stay, "Granny says, stay away," and we did. I gotcha. So, all right. Well, then that- I, gigged up, I gigged up to the property line. And I uh, wished I could have gotten on the dock because there was some great mullets under there. But, uh, no, Granny said nope, and that's the way it went. My grandmother um, was a very savvy lady. She died in the 70s. This happened in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And the man who designed and built the house originally was a man by the name of... And my grandmother would always tell me, you know, don't ever go over there without me. And I'd go over there occasionally, but all, only with my grandmother. And she just said, you know, it's someone you don't want to be around. Well, he used to make the statement all the time, no one will ever have this house but me. And I don't know why the house got sold. I was young. I don't know any of the circumstances. But he was not happy that that house was sold. Okay, so your your sister... When I spoke to her, and you said it was sort of open and shut, I, I assume you guys are in agreement that you were thinking that the previous owner of the house may have been implicated or something. What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree fully. Uh, that's uh, that's. And what makes you think that? What What is your reasoning for that? Well, uh, to the best of my ability, they uh, uh, and I, I don't know if this is. Yeah, in the police report or not, that they had seen green car uh, matching his car's description the day before uh, speaking with Mr. Michelson in the driveway uh, in, in rather a heated way. There's a mention of a green car, but there's also mention that he didn't have a vehicle at the time. So I'm kind of getting conflicting information. Yeah, well, you know, uh, did yes. you Did you know him to have a green vehicle? Uh, only... Only from the the police, the, from what the police said. See, I mean, you know, we had, uh, back in the old days, my, my stepfather was the chief of police of Longboat Key. Okay. Okay. And so, you know, there were, there were a couple of guys on the force that, you know, that knew him. And, and you know, so, I mean, I, I loaned one of the guys a coat 
because it was really cold so that he could stand out there and guard the seat the scene or whatever you know so he passed little things along to us and, mm-hmm. and he said yeah they had spotted a green car and at the time was driving a green uh, a green rental car so, oh you know, yeah okay. i mean it's well know. they did they did mention in the report that a green chrysler newport was seen i think the day before in the bradenton herald just two days after the murder along with many details of the crime itself it was reported quote police are seeking two men seen visiting the michaelson's residence thursday afternoon the two men were seen driving away in a 1972 or 73 green Chrysler sedan. Chief McCammon said the two men were not suspects, but are needed as witnesses to pinpoint the time of death better than the broad 8 to 16 hours before discovery of the bodies. It would be a big help if these two men would come forward and assist us. Based on the reports that I received, which was not the full case file, I have no indication of whether police were ever able to establish who these two men were. And when he lived in that house, did you ha- did you know him? Did you have a relationship with him like, like you did with Mr. M? No, no, I didn't. And, and uh, the reason was, was uh, Granny, and Granny was very, a very wise woman. She said, stay away from him. Really? So we all did. Your sister had mentioned that he there was some sort of... Um, things that your your grandmother heard about him saying that he was upset about having to sell that house. Do you remember anything about that? I don't remember uh, personally uh, anything really about that, no. But you, know, you got to remember back then, you know, I mean, I was 16 and you know, I had a lot on my mind other than listening to tales from Granny <laughs> yeah, and stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was just, tr- you know, that would be the motive right there. I, I would assume that would be the motive. But the, and, yeah, you and know. A perfect one at that, you know. I mean, you know, oh, you got my house. Now you won't sell it back to me. Well, I'll show you. you but know, why would, sense. right. But my question is, why did he sell it to him in the first place? If he was so upset about selling it, what, I don't understand. I feel like I'm missing part of the story here, like, did he was did he have to sell for financial reasons? Did what, why did he sell? Because he he I've even found you know he was building and selling other homes in out of state. So uh, you know it, it wasn't like it was the only house he was selling. I just I, I'm confused as to what how that motive would play out. Like why would he be upset about it? I you know I, that I couldn't tell you. If Granny was here, I'm sure she could, but. Uh... I, I was never I was never privy to that information and uh, and probably wasn't really interested at the time anyway. Yeah, I'll have to see if I can dig in a little bit deeper and find out if there yeah. was any issues. I did find some old um, newspaper articles. He was very active, like in the he'd go to the the local meetings and you know. You know, when they have the, what are they called? the uh, Like a, commi- a commission meeting. Yeah, like a city council or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, he was, was very... That was, was in my grandmother's basement. Well, it wasn't her basement, but... <laughs> really? The, the under part of the house was the city hall, yeah. So he seemed like he was active in the area, active in, um, uh, you know, what was going on. There was another, he did like, an, he wrote an op-ed in the newspaper about, um, and this is... I'm talking about. He wrote an op-ed in the article about these two islands or something that that um, Longboat Key um, had, I guess, control over, and um, the town was trying to decide whether to keep them in their natural state or to do them for other, you know, use them for other and other 
municipal purpose and there were people that wanted to keep them, you know, environmentalists and stuff to keep them in their natural state and others that it was, you know, worth money or whatever. So he, and he wrote an op-ed on that in the paper. So it seems like he was very interested in um, the area and what was going on in the area. So possibly, you know, there was a reason. I just want to sort of dig in and find out why he would have sold a property and then be upset about it. But he's definitely mentioned in the police report because Mrs. Goodman had said that the Sunday prior to the weekend of the death of the Michelsons, Mrs. Michelson had come to her house and was they were talking about the that they were supposed to have been in the area, but they hadn't contacted them. Um, and so they were wondering about that, like because they were all friends. It sounds like the Michelsons were friends with the, them, the previous owner. So, you know, it makes you wonder what why everyone was discussing it. I, I think that's why my grandmother was convinced that had something to do with it because of statements he'd made to her in the past. So basically his statements were about the house itself. Yes. He, he, he seemed upset that he had to sell the house. Yes, he was furious. And but that had happened. no one else was going to live in that house but him. But that had happened a few years earlier. That just seems, you know what I mean? Like... They had been there for a few years. They had. So that just seems so odd, you know? Uh, he made statements to my grandmother and other people over and over. See, Granny knew him from the get-go. They they bought their property back in the early 40s and bought Gulf to Bay property. And when, when he designed and built that house, I mean, Granny always knew there was something not right with him. Mm. And um, he would tell anybody, you know, no one's ever going to get my house. He was furious. And I don't know, I don't know what the circumstances were that they sold the house. Uh, That I don't know. But I remember him being furious. Granny telling me he was furious about losing that house and that no one was going to live there but him. And Mm. that's why Granny, my Granny, was convinced. that uh, he had something to do with it. Three days after the Michelson's bodies were found, Chief McCammon and Investigator Coons traveled to Fort Myers to the law office of the son of the former owner of the Michelson's home. His son was a lawyer, and it was in his office that police met and interviewed the former homeowner and his wife, as well as his son. According to the report, quote, the questioning and answers seemed to be satisfactory at this time. This was written by Officer Coons in his report. Detective McCammon's report is a bit more detailed in that he said they were interviewing the former homeowners and their son regarding the former homeowners' whereabouts on Thursday and Friday, the 21st and 22nd. The 22nd was when the Michelson's bodies were found. The former homeowner's alibi, according to his wife and son, was that they had all been together for dinner on the evening of the 21st, and then he went to bed around 9 p.m. and did not get back up until 10 a.m. the next morning. The report notes that he did not have a driver's license, the former homeowner, nor did he have an automobile where they were in Fort Myers. In this interview, the former homeowner was asked, specifically, if he was one of two occupants in an automobile, described as a 1972 or 73 Chrysler Newport, that was seen at the Michelson's residence on that Thursday, the 21st. The former homeowner said he had not been there 
and had no knowledge of the vehicle. Chief McCammon indicated at the end of his report, quote, Conclusions reached by Detective Coons and myself are that Mr. Redacted was in no way connected with the homicides of Mr. and Mrs. Michelson on February 22nd in the town of Longboat Key. Just a few days prior to the homicides, according to the next-door neighbor, Mrs. Michelson had come to her house asking about the former homeowner and his wife, as they had been expected in town by multiple neighbors, but he had not contacted any of them. That neighbor hadn't heard from them either, which both women found strange. There was another trip to Fort Myers on March 5th, a couple weeks later with Officer Coons, and this time with an investigator with the state attorney's office, where law enforcement again interviewed the son of the former homeowner, after which they determined that they would have to re-question his mother, the wife of the former homeowner, on three points related to this case. The first point related to the time between 10 p.m. on the 21st and 8 a.m. on February 22nd, which would have been the time frame that the former homeowner said that he had been asleep. Second was a note about a claim of the wife having gone to buy a condominium on the 21st, which law enforcement believed had occurred on the 22nd. And the third point was related to, quote, reason for going to Sarasota Bradenton Airport on February 22nd, 1974, which would have been the day that the Michelsons were found. The problem I have is that this was the last page of the report that I received from the Longboat Key Police Department. I have no way of knowing if this individual's alibi was further clarified or whether police were not able to get any more information from the former homeowner, as it does appear that he did live out of state in North Carolina at some point. I will note that when I spoke with Longboat Key Police, I was told, quote, they've never had a good, viable suspect in this case. Whether that's because this particular lead was not followed through to some ascertainable conclusion or not is unknown. Apparently, investigators then went down a rabbit hole that included a drug angle similar to what had occurred in the Kingfish boat ramp cases. That rabbit hole eventually led to a dead end. Do you remember, like, what kind of questions police were asking you? Oh, God. They, they asked me all kinds of stuff. Uh, uh, they asked me about, you know, about the Michelsons, about Mrs. Michelson, if, uh, you know, if she and I had trouble and stuff. And I told them the same thing I told you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were, <laughs> they were funny. Uh, they, uh, you know, they just asked me the usual stuff, you know. Where were you? What were you doing? You know, uh, just, just the normal, normal stuff, I guess. I, hell, I, don't, I really don't even remember what they asked me. So basically just following up on the story that, that was the neighbor had told, it sounds like. Uh, yeah, I, I, if the neighbor had told them that, I'm sure that's what they were doing. Yeah. But as I say, there wasn't, you know. There wasn't anything that they could get out of it. Because that was just one of the first things that they heard. You know how the neighbors are just coming. They don't, they're just trying to make sense of two dead people. So they're just exactly, think, right, saying yeah. I mean, anything that comes, right. The whole, yeah. The whole system there, yes. They're just saying anything that comes to mind. And there were other things that they checked into. And your sister said that you also, there were a couple people, but you also had a weapon confiscated. Is that right? What kind? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah they came and uh, took uh, both of my twenty twos. Uh, were these? And, and, and uh, I had a four ten, but uh, oh yeah. Were they? Was this rifle or handgun? 
uh, rifles. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. And did they go so far as fingerprinting you, or just that was it? They took your guns, and that's it. Oh gosh, I don't remember if they fingerprinted me or not. I'd be willing to bet they did, though. They yeah, because that's probably all they had was fingerprints yeah. and and, and yeah, to check the they, twenty. They probably did. Yeah, they, and they were trying to decide in the beginning. They weren't even sure. I don't until they sent tests if it was a twenty-two handgun or twenty-two rifle. I think they came to the conclusion that it was a rifle that was used, which is another like weird thing. Like who comes to kill people with a rifle? That doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't it seem odd. It just seems an odd thing. It, it does, especially with a twenty-two. Right. Like, what? Yeah. I, I don't understand. It just doesn't seem very well thought out to me. That's the other confusing thing is why would you bring a rifle? But that's not how Mrs. M was even killed. So, and they think she was probably killed first, maybe. So if that's the case, or at least their theory, you know, that she was headed up for bed, why do you bring a rifle in, but you end up, you know, strangling her? That's awfully personal. And, you know, it just doesn't make, just doesn't make sense. There's a lot of it. That, do, do they know? Uh, do they know whether or not the Michaelsons might have owned a twenty-two? Well, that was my question, and I'm waiting for answers back from um, police. That was exactly my question. Like maybe he didn't even bring a gun, and that was Mr. Michaelson woke up and heard something happening, grabbed his twenty-two, and then the perpetrator was able to, you know, overpower him. Shoot him. Yeah, that was my thought too. That's exactly because. Uh -huh. All we know for sure is that he was shot up near in his bed because one of the bullets went into the bed. But I don't know if they're sure exactly where she came in contact with him, whether it was upstairs or downstairs. There seems to be a bit of confusion as to that. And I, th my thinking was the same as yours. Well, it seems weird because when I spoke to law enforcement, they thought because of two different weapons, thinking maybe more than one person was there. But if one person is, seems to be dragging Mr. M across the lawn, dragging and carrying are two. If there were two people, why are they dragging him? Why aren't they, you know, and if there were two people, my theory was, why is she in the trunk and, and they're having to drag him elsewhere? It seems more likely to me that there was only one perpetrator and they couldn't lift him into the trunk like they put her. So they, oh, the next step was, oh, maybe we'll just dump him in the bay, you know? That makes sense, yes. Yeah, but then you have to ask, why are they even doing Why is the perpetrator hiding bodies? Like, why? Right. what's the point of that? It's bothered me my whole life. Yeah, I bet. When you're young like that and something happens, it sort of imprints on you and you, you're you not happens. able, you know, you're not really able to let it go because it sort of formed, I mean, a trauma like that when you're young forms who you are. It informs who you are and you, as you get older, you look at other things um, you know, with that sort of a, a, you know, in the back of your mind, you look at other crimes, you look at other things, you realize how easily something can happen to you. I mean, it happened to, you know, people right next door. So I can see where um, it would be something that you would think about, you know, for a long time. Well, well yeah. And the fact that no one was ever brought to justice. I mean, no justice for the Michelson. It's just not right. Things were done a lot differently in 1974 than they would be today. That goes without saying. Before I even got the incident report, I pulled up old articles and marveled at the media-reported details. I'm always leery of taking anything I read or hear in the media as fact, because I don't think that I have ever covered a case where all the news articles I found got the details right. This case was no exception. Here, though, I found large images in the newspaper of the Longboat Key police chief showing reporters around the crime scene. 
Let's not be too hard on him, though. Remember, this is 1974. They were still using flashbulbs on their cameras, and DNA wasn't even a thing. It was not uncommon for law enforcement to court the press, even show them around crime scenes, and allow them to take pictures. In one image, Police Chief Wayne McCammon is sitting on a bed in the master bedroom, not a glove or piece of protective clothing in sight, pointing to the other bed, a bare box spring because the mattress had been removed to x-ray for projectiles. The chief's shoes are inches away from a blood smear on the floor that he is pointing out for the camera. The line below the image says, investigators feel Mrs. Michelson was dragged across the floor. I'm not sure how they decided that it was her blood by the next day, given that they could only do blood typing at that point. I think they were doing a lot of tentative theorizing early on. In another picture, we see a Manatee County deputy dusting the Michelson's Buick Electra for prints, while another member of law enforcement trains his mag light on the area to assist. The idea that both men are looming over the trunk that they've only recently removed Mrs. Michelson from is slightly disconcerting. There's yet a third image, and all of these, by the way, are published in the newspaper the day after the bodies were found. This third image is titled, Police Chief Wayne McCammon Views Murder Weapon. Beneath the image it says, Blade of knife found at Michelson residence can be seen in corner of photo. And boy can it, he's holding that baby right up for the camera. At least it's in a plastic bag at this point. And so many details appeared in the paper the next day. That was one of the things that the law enforcement officer that I spoke with had lamented. They released the caliber of weapon and that they thought it was a rifle. They gave details about what they found at the crime scene, specific elements of the timeline, even going so far as telling reporters how they thought the whole thing happened. Although months later, Chief McCammon would admit a lot is conjecture with no specific facts to bear it out. By that time, months later, after interviewing dozens of witnesses, chasing down every lead, sending everything in the way of evidence to be tested, they ended up with nothing that pointed to a motive. They could say that the Michelsons were slain sometime between 9 p.m. on the 21st when they spoke with friends on the phone and 5 p.m. the next day when their friends arrived and found Mr. Michelson's body. When I spoke to the current captain, he said some had speculated that those friends had interrupted the victim's bodies being moved, and that's why Mr. Michelson had been abandoned in the yard, clearly in the process of having been dragged somewhere, probably to the water to be dumped in the bay. I don't know about that. If they were killed eight or more hours earlier, as the ME said, it would seem odd for the perpetrator or perpetrators to stay in the house that long before deciding to move the bodies around at five the next evening, in broad daylight. There was mention in the newspaper, although not in the police reports that I read, that indicated a neighbor was leaving for work around 6.30 that morning and said that the lights were still burning at the Michelson's home at that time. I'm not sure how they would know that they were still burning, as in never shut off the previous night, or had been turned on some point that morning before 6.30. That blurb in the newspaper also didn't indicate whether the lights in question were inside lights or outside lights. In June of 1974, 
Four months after the murders, Police Chief McCammon told reporters, quote, We don't think Mrs. Michelson ever got to bed. She was a night person, according to friends, who said she usually stayed awake to watch the late show on television, then was in the habit of laying out the breakfast utensils for the next day before going to bed. But he acknowledged that there were no clues to indicate whether Mrs. Michelson was upstairs or downstairs at the time. Quote, not a thing is out of place anywhere in the house except the bedroom, he said. Nothing, absolutely nothing was disturbed. The police chief said Mrs. Michelson received a small superficial chest wound and there were no finger marks or indications that she had been strangled with an object. He said, quote, I leaned towards steady forearm pressure, suggesting she was held in a vice-like grip from behind, perhaps at knife point, but the exact scenario is anybody's guess. He elaborated on the two-perpetrator theory, saying, quote, The area from the bedroom to the top of the stairs is covered with a rug. There are about ten stairs to the ground floor, and those stairs are covered with thick pile white carpeting. If the Michelsons had been dragged across the rug and down the stairs, there had to be some blood left someplace, and there isn't any, except for one small stain on the side of the wall close to the steps. He said Mr. Michelson, at over six feet, 190 pounds, would have been hard for anyone to carry through the hall and down the stairs. So their theory was, quote, that two people picked him up along with the mattress cover, sheet, and blanket, used it like a sling with his body in it, and carried the body down the stair to the front door and laid the body on the floor. Then one person dragged the body, probably by the ankles, through the garage and out to the side of the house, while the other person went back upstairs, wrapped Mrs. Michelson's body in a sheet, carried her to the garage and carefully laid the body face down in the trunk of the family car. She was only about 90 pounds. And all of that seems reasonable, and it appears that they landed on both victims being felled upstairs and having to be brought back downstairs. I am not sure that I am personally as convinced about that sling story, though. Two people carrying a 190-pound body up off the ground, down the stairs, is much more laborious and awkward than dragging or sliding the body down the stairs wrapped in bed linens. Surely the bad guy or bad guys are more concerned with ease over getting blood on the carpet. Why would they be trying to hold it up off the ground? What's their point? They've already left a bunch of blood on the bedroom floor that they didn't bother to clean up. I think it's at least possible that the reason there's no blood on the carpet is simply because the orientation of the mattress cover was such that the bloody areas were not making contact with the carpeted floors. It could be as simple as that. It's also possible that a single perpetrator tried to drag Mr. Michelson down the stairs in those blankets and the body got away from him and rolled all the way down. Remember, at some point, the blankets they speculate he'd been wrapped in to get downstairs were separated from him because they weren't outside with his body when he was found. In their theory that I just read to you, they said that they used the blankets as a sling and got him down the stairs and then for some reason laid his body on the floor. Why are they taking his body out of the blankets at that point? What would be the utility in doing that unless he was already coming out of the blankets? We've got all that blood all over the garage, indicating that he probably wasn't wrapped up by then. 
Those sheets or blankets were balled up and found in the garage with part of the knife inside. The no-blood-on-the-stairs aspect, in my opinion, cannot rule out the single-perpetrator theory. Given what we know about how Mr. Michelson's body was oriented when it was found, which also seems to indicate that only one person appears to have dragged him across the yard outside all the way from the garage, and that was a fairly substantial drag. If there was any point in this scenario where two people were needed, if two people were present, it would have been right then, when you want to get a big man outside and down to the water and dump him without being seen. That would be done much faster with two people rather than one if there were two people there. I guess it's also possible there were two perpetrators at some point, and one of them fled the scene prior to Mr. Michelson being dragged outside. Or one of them was just too timid to drag a body across the yard outside. Now remember this quote from the report. It seemed that Mr. Michelson was dragged out of the bedroom on a sheet or mattress cover, down the stairs, out the front door, into the garage, through an aluminum door, and out a louvered doorway to the side of the building and about 15 more feet east where he was left, feet facing the bay, on his back. At what point were those sheets removed? If not when he was being taken down the stairs, maybe while in the garage trying to get him in the trunk. Perhaps the first plan was to put them both in the trunk, but Mr. Michelson was too heavy, so tossing him into the water outside was the next best option. At least that's what the perpetrator or perpetrators thought. Maybe it was at that point that the sheets and coverings around Mr. Michelson began to come unraveled, if they hadn't already, and the perpetrator discarded them. Detective Coons theorized this, quote, The only possible reason for putting her in the trunk and him outside is maybe they planned to remove her body to make it seem as if she had killed him and then run away. While police searched for her, the killers would have had more time to escape. I just don't see a scenario here that suggests to me that the perpetrators were formulating a plan that intricate, this whole idea of staging a murder-suicide for getaway time. But let's say they did. What type of offender is doing something like this? Trying to make the crime look like the wife killed the husband. Wouldn't that kind of plan be more likely formulated by someone known to the victims rather than a random burglar or offender? Generally, burglars aren't worried about bodies being found afterward. They're worried about getting what they can get and getting out. That's because they have no ties to the victims. To me, moving Mr. Michelson's body from downstairs at all suggests that they always meant to move them both. Where they were moving them to is what appears to have been changed and interrupted. I tend to think something spooked the perpetrator or perpetrators, causing them to abort whatever objective that they'd had for Mr. Michelson's body. Maybe a passing car. Maybe a neighbor outside. We know that that one neighbor said that he was passing by around 6.30 in the morning. Perhaps it was that neighbor passing by that spooked them. Otherwise, they could still have taken the vehicle with Mrs. Michelson in it. So it does seem as though whatever the plan was, if there was a plan, the moment that Mr. Michelson's body was abandoned was when the perpetrators got out of there for fear of being caught. And to me, that suggests her body was already in the trunk at the time. Another curious question. 
Why hide the bodies at all if you're not someone known to the victim? Did they think they were hiding evidence? If so, they left plenty of it there. Sheets, broken knives, bloody fingerprints. There was no indication in the report of attempts to clean up that blood either. Remember, this is 1974. The general public wasn't nearly as savvy as we are today about what evidence we leave at the scene. This perpetrator apparently didn't even wear gloves, given that there was a bloody print on that heating pad control. The only thing that they took was the shotgun, which might suggest that it was a weapon brought by the perpetrator. We have no information about whether Mr. Michelson owned a rifle. Although previously owning and living on a citrus farm, one could argue that he might have had one in the past for critter control. But I would expect the maid to have mentioned that if she knew he had one and it was missing. She didn't. Although it's also possible that police never asked her that question, so she never got a chance to mention it. The reason I looked at this case in the first place was a seeming lack of motive. To this day, when I spoke to the current Longboat Key captain, he said that they don't have any idea about motive, unless it was a botched robbery attempt, but he admitted that they had no indication a burglary was even attempted. Nothing appeared to have been taken. Burglars do tend to get down to business, to find the stuff that they want, and then get out. Nothing appeared out of place. There was $26 in Mrs. Michelson's wallet, and she was wearing all of her rings. So then I wondered about the car. Maybe the vehicle was the motive. That 1974 Buick Electra was pretty new at the time. What if the perpetrator entered through the garage or that side door around the time that Mrs. Michelson was setting the dishes out for the night? Maybe she heard something. Maybe she even grabbed that knife before encountering the perpetrator. I can envision a scenario where there's a fight to get control of that knife. Or she manages to get away with it runs upstairs to her husband, and the perpetrator or perpetrators follow her. But if there's more than one perpetrator, that's a lot of people moving around in a fairly small room. The report did not indicate things having been knocked down or jostled into like a fight ensued. Perhaps that radio that was in the wrong place, according to the maid, is something that got knocked off the shelf, and then the perpetrator put it back on the shelf afterward, but that would seem odd. One thing is for certain, either this was a very unorganized burglar, or burglary wasn't the motive. What police found, in the end, is an aborted mission. To do what and why remains unclear. I think there are as many things pointing to a single perpetrator as two. That's what makes this scenario so puzzling. We don't know if one or both of the weapons were brought by one or more perpetrators. And there are a number of possibilities. And that's why I wanted to cover this case after last season. There are more questions than answers and no known motive. I can't say that this jumps out to me as a case that would be related to the Kingfish Bolt Ramp murders. Other than the caliber of projectile, even the weapon seems to be different. 22 ammo shot out of a rifle here versus 22 ammo fired from a handgun in the Kingfish cases. But if I were to jot down the crimes of Israel Keys, for example, you'll see a varied history that included him breaking into neighbors' houses with his BB gun as a kid, burglary, stalking, sexual assault, 
kidnap, murder, arson, bank robberies, and his victims were women, men, he didn't have what is called a victim profile. He chose his victims randomly, and he used different means of killing. That type of killer is very difficult to catch. It was reported in the Bradenton Herald in March of 1974, only a month after the murders, that the Michelson's will had provided that 10% of their estimated $500,000 estate would go to charity, divided between the School of Education of Pennsylvania, the University of California at Berkeley, the American Cancer Society in Bradenton, and the Westminster Presbyterian Church of Bradenton. The latter would be a scholarship fund to assist an eligible person who was going to seminary or other full-time ministry work. The Michelsons had separate but nearly identical wills, and the other 90% was divided in half and distributed among family members. Mrs. Michelson's brother received one half, and Mr. Michelson's three sisters, the other. Mrs. Michelson's jewelry was distributed between two nieces and two nephews. There was no single person that stood to inherit the full estate. This case, like the Kingfish cases, is baffling. There's no obvious motive and no suspects. And that is truly unfortunate. If you have any information about the murders of Norman and Isabel Michelson in Longboat Key, Florida on February 21st, 1974, please contact the Longboat Key Police Department at 941-316-1977. Or you can contact Manatee County Crime Stoppers at 866-634-TIPS that's 866-634-TIPS. They also have a mobile app that you can download at p3tips.com. And as always, you can reach out to me with any questions, concerns, or tips at deckerjenny at gmail.com. That's D-E-C-K-E-R-J-E-N-I at gmail.com. Next up, another case from Manatee County, Florida. Stay tuned.